then the next three verses or four verses, six through nine, are the continuation to the Shema. The heart of the Shema is verses four through five, but the continuation of it goes into six, six through nine. So he says this in verse six, these words I am commanding you today must be kept in mind and you must teach them to your children and speak of them as you sit in your house, as you walk along the road, as you lie down, and as you get up. And so he says, this is the heart of it. Not only are you to love God like this, but you are to teach this love. This love is not just to be lived. This love is to be taught. And remember that God is a father figure in Deuteronomy. And a father's two primary task is to love and to teach. Because the primary task of a father and a mother is to love their children and to provide for them in every kind of a way, but also to train them up and teach them to become the image of God and go out into the world. Those are your primary two tasks as a parent. And so the first task is this is what it looks like to affectionately love God. The second task is now teach this. But don't just teach this in words. You teach this in the way that you live it. Now, can I live this perfectly before my children? Heck no. I mean, this is why Jesus had to die on the cross because I couldn't do this. This is why he had to give me the Holy Spirit to transform me into this. But the transformation of me into this is a lifetime process. But at the same time, can I still live this out perfectly in a way before my children in the sense that I humbly let them know that I'm not doing this, but I'm getting better and I apologize when I don't do this because apologies and asking for forgiveness is just as much of the law. Remember, the law wasn't just the Ten Commandments. The law was also the sacrificial system. In fact, the sacrificial system was the majority of the law. And without the sacrificial system, there is no law. Because without the sacrifices, you can't implement the law. Without the sacrifices, you can't make the covenant. And without the sacrifices, there is no atonement for the covenant when you violate it. And without the sacrifices, you can't cleanse the temple or the tabernacle to be with God. So the sacrifice is everything of the law, and that requires repentance and forgiveness. And so even me going to my children and saying, I'm sorry, I screwed up, I didn't do this, and I humble myself and I, and I ask for forgiveness and I make atonement, that is living this out before them. And so the reality is, he says, what does this mean? You keep this in mind all the time. What does keep this in mind mean? Keep this in mind means that it looks like this. Every day, the people were to come together and they were to read the word out loud and they were to discuss it with each other. And so the idea is that, but what does it mean to keep this in mind? It means that I read God's word. I meditate on it. I chew on it. I, in fact, it even keeps, it has the idea of reading it out loud, speaking it. And I speak this out loud so that it is more poignant and we know when we read a lot of things in our head, we're like, what did I just read? When you speak it out loud, you're more likely to remember it. You meditate on it. You, 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 you speak it to the congregation, and you ask them, what do you think this means? And, and what are your insights have brought in? And, 
And, and not that you say what do you think and what do you feel means without scholarship, but once you understand what the scholarship says, then what does it look like to apply this to life? There's only one interpretation, but there are many applications. And so, okay, this is what it means, and that's all that it means. But how do I live this out in my life now? That's where I need everybody. This is where I need the body of Christ. This is where we come together. This is where people say you're not living it, or you are living it, or this is what you should do. And, and this is where we come to the community. And keeping it in mind is meditating on it, chewing on it, thinking about it, speaking out loud, getting input from each other, seeking out advice, praying about it. It's making sure that this permeates your life. It becomes a part of you. It's not just you read this and check, I've got my devotions done, and you go on with your life, which which is a lot of us, what we do a lot of times, or struggle with not being like that. It means it's, it's always on my mind all the time. And then, as this is on my mind all the time, it becomes something that I do. It means that when I first wake up in the morning, I'm teaching my children this kind of stuff. And I'm not just teaching them in a Bible study sense, I'm practicing it and living it. That they see me talk about my love for God. They hear me talk about my love for other people. They hear about ministry. They see that the God's word, that praying, and that being in ministry, building the kingdom of God, these are all important to me because I'm doing it. I'm talking about it. And I'm not just talking about it. I'm passionate about it. It excites me. And even when I'm not passionate about it, I talk about the fact that I want to be passionate about it again. And that's why I'm in the word. And I do this while we walk or while we drive in the car, while we're on the way to church, soccer practice, ballet, gymnastics, football, whatever. And it's a part of me. And it can't be empty either. Kids, kids recognize emptiness in a heartbeat. Empty praise, empty words. This isn't I'm just speaking it because I've just learned to speak this. It's, I'm speaking it because it's coming from my heart and I'm passionate about it. And even when I'm worn out and depressed, there's still a certain sense that, and you know what, that's the peace that passes all understanding. That even when I'm depressed, even when I'm worn out, when I, even when I'm beaten down, there's still this like, but this is still good. This is still good. And my kids see that. And I do this every moment of the day, not just Bible studies. They say that you can tell how um, intelligent kids are going to be, and you can tell how, what's the word, um, broad, well-versed in the world and in way of thinking kids are going to be by looking at parents' bookshelves. Now, this is an absolute guarantee rule. But it, now it'd be like, what's in your Kindle thing? Or what are, what are you viewing on the internet? But back in the day before technology came along, that you could look at a parent's bookshelf and automatically t- figure out what the kid is going to be like, how intelligent they're going to be, and how broad their spectrum is. Why? Because chances are what's on the parent's bookshelf is what they're reading. And what they're reading is what they're interested in, and what they're interested in is what they're talking about. And so if all you have is a whole bunch of sports magazines, that's probably the home the kids are going to be born in. But if you've got books on science and English and fantasy books or whatever, I'm not saying like, oh, don't feel really guilty and now I've got to go home and buy all this diversity and read it. It just says that the more, basically the idea is the more broad the parents are in their interests 
And the more they dive into it so much that they're reading stuff or talking about this, then they're passionate about it. They're going to talk about that, and the kids are going to pick that up. Now, why do I use that point? Because that's why you need to understand that what God means by teaching your children is not make sure you have your daily devotion or Bible study with your kids. Because if that's all it is, then kids figure out that God is only important for about 20 or 30 minutes every day. It doesn't mean make sure that they go to youth group or go to church every Sunday. Because if that's all it is, they figure it out that God is only important a couple hours a week. What it means is, is that this is you're so in love with God and every part of you is devoted to him. And when you aren't devoted to him, it so bothers you because you so love him that you repent and you try to get things right by going deeper into the word and deeper into the Holy Spirit in prayer that it just flows out of you because whatever goes into the heart of a man will come out of the heart of a man, Jesus says. And it will so naturally flow out of you that yes, intentional planned Bible study time and prayer with your kids is important, but it won't be just that. It'll just come out of you all the time, and they'll see that. And, and, and then every moment's a life application moment. Now when they're screwing up and they've totally destroyed something in your house and they deserve to be punished, that punishment is less about punishment, and it's a teachable moment about who God is and His justice. Yes, when you've screamed and you've yelled and you've lost your temper and it was over, then that humbling yourself and asking for forgiveness becomes a teachable moment about who God is. And now everything you're doing is not just disciplining and not just chores and not just entertainment. Now everything becomes a teachable moment. Now when you're watching a movie for the entertainment, it's still about God. It's now we're talking to our kids. We're not just mindlessly watching the movies. We're talking to our kids. I mean, we do this. We watch Bambi. We watch whatever. We're saying, okay, what's going on here? Did they? Is that the way that God wants you to operate? Or is that a good example of love? And every moment in the movie becomes teachable moments. And it's just part of who you are. And this is what God is saying. This is what it means to teach. Yes, specific times like this are very important and necessary. But they should be the roots that allow every moment to become something like that. And that doesn't mean you've got to go into the freakness where like, geez, 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 is coming off your mouth every second. Because that kind of becomes empty and fake because nobody can do that. But hopefully this is kind of making a point. Verse 8. You should tie these principles, you should tie this Shema, and you shall Fasten them as a reminder to your forearms and fasten them as symbols on your forehead and inscribe them on the door frames of your houses and gates. So he says, what you need to do is take the Shema and you fashion it to your forearm and you fashion it to your forehead and you fashion it to your gates and your doorposts. Now the Jews took this literally and they had these things called phylacteries. And they put the, the Shema on a piece of paper and they put it in a box and they tie it to their forehead. And they bind it to their forearms. And they have this thing called the mezuzah. And the mezuzah is the, the little box on the door frame. And they put the Shema on it. Now, is that what God's talking about? Yeah, maybe. Is it wrong? No. But is it only that? 
as if somehow binding these things to your body magically makes it a part of your body. Like putting a book on your forehead while you sleep will help you learn it. Or have some guy chanting, you are a beautiful, unique snowflake, and doggone people like you as you sleep overnight will help build your self-esteem. That does kind of work to a certain point, but not really. What it means is that you're binding this to every part of your life, your mind. You're, 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 you're digging it and burying it into your mind as you read and talk, that you're attaching it to your body, and that it's on your door frame. The idea of your door frame is the, the door is the entrance into your home, your life, and home in the organic sense of it, not in the physical structure sense. And the idea is that this becomes part of it. It means that when you walk into somebody's house, and you know this, you walk into people's house and you automatically feel this sense of oppression or despair. You walk into other people's house and automatically feels comfortable. I mean, there's some people's houses I walk in and it's clean and it's pristine and it still feels sterile and empty. And you go to other people's houses and it's messy and it's cluttered and yet there's a sense of comfortableness. And vice versa, too. I've been in clean houses that are very comfortable and chaotic houses that are chaotic. <laughs> but what the point was is it was the people and the environment that they had created in their home. And this is what God is saying is that this should be the environment of your home so that when people look around your house and when they look upon your body, they see God. Not necessarily literally because you've got a tattoo, or you've got Bible verses hanging up around your house, and that makes you the great Shema. Because we know that you can get tattoos and have Bible verses on your house wall, and nothing changes. However, is it wrong to have those? No, because you do absolutely everything in your power to remind you of who God is and to meditate on every day. And so if you're the kind of person that puts memory verses all over your wall and you never, ever looked at them ever again, then good for you. <laughs> but if you're the kind of person who says, this, the, my personality is the kind of person that I do look at this stuff all the time, and these things are reminders to me, and they really do change my life, then heck yes, bind it to your forehead. Bind it to your walls and your doorposts. Do whatever is necessary. If you need to take memory verses with a, um, a eraser marker and write it on your mirror in the morning so the first thing you look up is not your image and what you need to be so that everybody will accept you in the morning, but who your identity in Christ is from some passage in Peter or whatever, then do it. If you have to bind this on three by five cards, the verse that you're memorizing, and bind it to your steering wheel on your 30-minute drive to work and read it over and over and over again to meditate on it, then do it. If physically binding this helps you become more of the great Shema, then do it. I mean, our family did get a mezuzah, and we did bind it to our doorposts. And we did that as a physical ritual thing for our daughters to say, this is what our house is going to be about. And that when people walk in, it might be a, a talking point about what our house is. Some people have the Joshua statement, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord in the front of their door. That's great. If that helps you say, this is who we are as a family, and this is who we are as other people come in, then it's great. If that's going to magically make you this way, if you think that, no. But if that's what you need to help you, then yes. Does that make sense? We don't do these things in a legalistic sense like the Jews did. They did them because we want them to help us become more of this in our heart. 
And so, yes, we have these things in our house, but we have these things in our house because it becomes something to talk about with our children. And it's another way to say, why are we, put, as we had a ceremony, so to speak, and we put on our doorpost, why are we doing this? We're doing this not because we have to. We're doing this as a reminder that this is what our house is going to be about. And that we're not going to perfectly do this because this doesn't magically make us the great Shema. But our hope is that this will remind us every time we leave and come back that we want to be the part of the great Shema. And it's important to us. Does that make sense? And this is what God is saying. This is what it means. This is the great Shema. This is what it means to be in a covenant loyal relationship with God. And this is what it means to implement it. You meditate on these things so much that it becomes so much a part of your life that you then go out and you teach your children, your grandchildren, your neighborhood kids, your whatever you encounter. And when you teach, it's your lifestyle, even in your repentance, and not just words that you're saying all the time. And that feel empty to people or annoying to people. If you're going to annoy people, at least annoy them with a genuine passion. (laughs) Does that make sense? And that is the great Shema. And this is the heart of a father who saved his children to make them something more. And he now says, now I want you to become that thing that I saved you to become. And then pass that on and make your children that in the same way that I made you that for generation to come. And whenever ever any doubt of what the Bible is saying, you go back to the Shema. And this becomes your lifestyle. This becomes your desire. This becomes your energy and your devotion.